Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. American Jewish Committee has 14 international offices around the world. This week, we checked in with some of those offices to learn what they're seeing and hearing on the ground since the October 7th Hamas terrorist attack on Israel. In an earlier installment, we took you to Europe, Africa, and Latin America. Our journey continues today through Asia, Berlin, and Abu Dhabi. We started in South and East Asia and the Pacific Islands. Since director of AJC's Asia-Pacific Institute was en route to Indonesia, we caught up with assistant director Hannah Rudolph. Hannah, let's start with Indonesia, a predominantly Muslim country, the country with the world's largest Muslim population, in fact, where AJC has made tremendous inroads in recent years, engaging with faith and political leaders. What has the response to the October 7th attacks been there? The Indonesian government doesn't have ties with Israel, though it does support a two-state solution. So we don't expect a vocal support for Israel. But the anti-Semitism and the conspiracy theories, the false narratives have been incredibly alarming. There was a rally on November 5th, the pro-Palestinian rally, um, and rally organizers think that there were 2 million people who turned out for that. So we're talking huge numbers. The prevailing narrative there is really that Israel is the indiscriminate aggressor. They are just killing women and children for no reason in Gaza. There's very little mention of Hamas's massacre on October 7th, and that's the narrative. AJC has taken several delegations of Indonesians to Israel for our project interchange. A lot of our alumni have been receiving death threats, and we're not talking about death threats for posts that they're actively making right now in support of Israel. We're talking about death threats because, you know, some long time ago when they were on this delegation, they posted something that was seen as like, something pro-Israel, and now they're receiving this kind of pushback and hate and condemnation for it. You mentioned the dominant narrative. Are there other narratives developing? One of the most, I think, notable and disappointing reactions across our region has been China. China refused to condemn Hamas's terrorist attack on October 7th, and there has been a notable uptick in anti-Semitic rhetoric across Chinese social media platforms which, as you know, are heavily censored when the government chooses to do so. So here the government is choosing not to censor. And in fact, several state-run institutions are actively promoting radically anti-Semitic content. So I'll give you a few examples. CCTV describes Jews as accounting for 3% of the U.S. population and manipulating and controlling their words, 70% of the country's wealth. The China Internet Information Center compared Israel to the Nazis. And these are, of course, narratives that, once they're put out there, they're being actively promoted and popularized by other social media influencers. So the content that's being generated as a result goes far beyond even those examples. We've noticed that there are several major Chinese map platforms that are no longer labeling Israel as a country. You know, they'll demarcate the borders, they'll identify cities, but you don't see Israel labeled. Most likely... China is seeing the current conflict within the context of the U.S. versus China, and this whole conflict is just another opportunity to champion itself as the leader of the developing world. You know, it's a continued strengthening of the China, Russia, Iran, North Korea block of malign actors. 
It's just very laughable, really, that China is maintaining what it describes to be a position of neutrality when, one, it won't condemn Hamas's attack, two, it won't condemn anti-Semitism, but instead it'll explicitly denounce Israel for, quote, going beyond self-defense and, again, in the foreign minister's words, collectively punishing the Gazan people in its counter-strikes. What are we seeing in Australia, where the Jewish community numbers about 100,000? I know historically anti-Semitic incidents per capita have remained low there. The Australian government has by and large really supported Israel in the same way that the U.S. has. Um, But the politics and public sentiment also look a lot like here. So there's been growing pressure for the government to call for a ceasefire, things like that. The uptick in anti-Semitism also looks a lot like here. It's been very alarming. There's actually a very sizable Jewish community in Australia. It's about 100,000, and Australia has the largest number of Holocaust survivors per capita, just to give some context. Since October 7th, the Executive Council of Australian Jewry has documented 221 incidents of anti-Semitism. So we're just talking about one month. This includes threats to Jewish schools and synagogues, property damage, even a few physical assaults. There has also been large pro-Palestinian demonstrations. I think the one that probably everyone saw in the news is a demonstration on October 9th. So we're talking just two days after the attack outside of the Sydney Opera House where pro-Palestinian protesters were chanting gas the Jews. Remarks and resolutions coming out of the United Nations General Assembly have shown little support for Israel since the beginning of this conflict. There was a resolution calling for a truce. This week, there's one calling on Israel to withdraw from the Golan Heights, the buffer between Israel and yet another hostile neighbor, Syria. How have the nations in the Asia-Pacific voted on these resolutions? I would say that the most kind of encouraging signs coming out of some of these countries have really been in terms of the government's position. So I want to especially highlight Japan, South Korea, and India. These are all countries that have joined the U.S in condemning Hamas's attacks on October 7th, affirming Israel's right to self-defense. They all abstained from a recent UN General Assembly resolution that called for an immediate humanitarian truce. And the reason why they abstained is because there had been a Canadian amendment to unequivocally condemn Hamas's terrorist attacks and demand the immediate release of hostages. This amendment was backed by the US, but was rejected by the resolution. And so these three countries all abstained. That's, we see that as a positive. The Marshall Islands and Micronesia, both Pacific Islands, voted against it. They have always been strong supporters of Israel. We're incredibly grateful for that relationship. Since October 7th, AJC Berlin director Remco Limhus has taken two German delegations to Israel to speak with hostages' families to see the homes raided by Hamas, and to understand the military operation underway there. Rimko joined us from Berlin to speak about those missions, but also to talk about what he's seeing and hearing back home. We had an attack on a synagogue here in the center of Berlin that was attacked with Molotov cocktails, even though there was police protection. Um, We had the homes of people marked with the Star of David, you know, where members of the Jewish community live. And these are, you know, the things that happened sort of outside of demonstrations. We had people that have been threatened because they were wearing a kippah or, you know, uh, are visibly Jewish. And when we look at the demonstrations, 
we see what we've seen. This is nothing too new. Um, all sorts of expressions of anti-Semitism, beginning with, you know, from the river to the sea, you know, people chanting that. Um, we're also seeing that they compare what's happening in Gaza with the Shoah, so Holocaust trivialization. Again, see attacks on police officers and thinly veiled classic anti-Semitic stereotypes. You know, they're not saying the Jews, but saying, you know, the Zionist. And that's also something not too new, but how forceful it is expressed. We're also seeing attacks against the press and saying that the press is lying and they're always, you know, portraying them in the wrong way and using chants that are hard to translate, but that up until now we've mostly seen right-wing manifestations. So it's very weird to see how they are now using the same slogans. We've seen it across the board um, in every region, in every major city. Um, we don't have numbers over the past month or so, but I can tell you that, for example, in the first week after October 7th, we had 202 anti-Semitic incidents that were recorded by a different NGO. And that was just the first week after October 7th. And we had until the end of October 80 anti-Semitic crimes that have been registered with the police and the authorities. So we've seen it across the board um, online, but especially during demonstrations, um, so-called pro-Palestinian demonstrations, where we have seen violence, violence against the police, but obviously also expressions of anti-Semitism and very clear expressions of anti-Semitism. And that's been that's been frightening, to be honest, because, uh, I mean, we have seen, you know, these things kind of before during other rounds of conflict between Hamas and Israel. But this time it's just the sheer number and the openness is pretty stunning. And I cannot recall a moment where, you know, we have seen this kind of openly expressed anti-Semitism. Are you also hearing it from government leaders? I have to say that, especially for Germany, that the government, the ministers, they are all very clear in their support for Israel. And this is obviously not a winning theme for them oftentimes, but the chancellor is very straightforward in his support for Israel on numerous occasions. The economy minister, Minister Habeck, has put out a video that got a lot of attention where he very clearly addresses anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism coming from the left, so sort of his own, you know, he's from the Green Party, so, you know, when he's talking about anti-Semitism from the left, he's sort of talking about, you know, where he is coming from. And I think that's always a good starting point for people when they talk about anti-Semitism, always, you know, start by addressing it in your own sort of political spectrum and not you know, pointing fingers at others. And so I think that this is a very good sign. And today, you know, we are weeks after October 7th, and they are still, you know, very forceful in their support for Israel, which, again, given the pictures that we unfortunately see coming out of Gaza, I wouldn't have imagined that it would be the case, but it still is. So that is good. What is still lacking, in my opinion, is or something that we have seen 
over the past years and now seeing much more that there's a gap between sort of the political class, if you like to call it political class and, or politicians and mainstream society. But then again, government leaders have had the opportunity to see the battleground firsthand, right? I mean, you've taken two delegations now. Can you tell us what they've seen, what they've heard? So I was on two missions. The first mission, this was a delegation with members of parliament, members of the European parliament and other national parliaments from the European Union, including two German members of parliament. And there was sort of also my first mission to Israel since October 7th. And I can say that obviously seeing it firsthand among, you know, we had obviously political meetings, uh, meeting with lawmakers in Israel, members of Knesset, but we also went to Kvarza. One of the kibbutzim that was attacked on October 7th, and we met with uh, survivors' families from there, with families whose loved ones have been abducted and are now hostages in Gaza. And I think that Seeing this firsthand, hearing it firsthand from the families, there's nothing that can substitute for that. You can read a lot, you can, you know, watch everything that's in the news or on TV, but being there yourself has really an impact on people and gives them a better understanding what Israel is facing and what the enemy is that Israel is facing. And my second trip was with the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And again, it's someone to be there and be able to go into one of these, you know, small houses, which seem like frozen in time. And I mean, nothing has been touched and it looks like, you know, like it looked on this Saturday morning. And in some houses you you think, you know, the inhabitants or the people who live there are just out for a while and will come back. And then you go through these houses and then you get to the safety room or the security room and the bomb shelter. And then you, you know, you see what, what happened in that house and uh, that, you know, obviously people have died there. And then again, speaking to the families, to the survivors, and, you know, seeing how desperate they are and is something that no one will ever forget who was there and will impact everyone going forward and obviously will also have an impact on how they view the ongoing military operation in Gaza differently than somebody who's just, you know, seeing it from the news. In addition to its Jerusalem office, AJC also has a Middle East presence in Abu Dhabi. With us to discuss how Israel's Abraham Accords partner, United Arab Emirates, has been reacting to the news is AJC Abu Dhabi Director, Ambassador Mark Sievers. Mark, welcome to People of the Pod. Hi, Manya. Great to be with you. You are right there in the region, in the neighborhood, if you will. Tell us what you're seeing or hearing, and do you feel safe? What's top of mind there? Certainly, there's a great concern about the potential for escalation. We hear that it comes up in almost every discussion. Certainly, it's bad enough to see the combat and the situation in Gaza. But there's been concern from the beginning that it could spread to Israel's northern border with with Lebanon, with Syria, 
even potentially to Iran directly, although I think that's quite unlikely, but it's not entirely out of the realm of the possible. But I think, you know, the U.S. military presence in that sense in the two aircraft carrier groups that are in the waters in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, but there is a significant U.S. military presence that's been brought into the region to help deter an escalation, an expansion of the fighting to Lebanon and Syria. Does the tiny Jewish community there feel safe? First of all, threatening or commenting in a hostile manner toward people here because of their race or their religion or their nationality is a crime. It's taken very seriously. There have been a few cases of Jewish people not anyone I'm directly involved with, but I'd heard about who took some complaints to the police and the police took action. So there's a legal basis to ban any expression, public expressions of anti-Semitism. The messages we've received are to keep a bit of a low profile, avoid being obvious or provocative. But other than that, everything's normal. I walk around the city, I drive myself, I go to a lot of public places. I feel perfectly comfortable. I don't feel any particular tension. I'm sure if there were any threats, uh, specific threats, that we would be notified. I'm not aware of any. Look, it's a difficult period, and emotions run high, and certainly emotions are, are high in Israel, but they're also high across the Arab world, there is a lot of, as I said earlier, a lot of concern for Palestinian civilians. I think to some extent Hamas has managed to project itself, particularly through social media, as the embodiment of the Palestinian people in a way that's kind of hard for us to understand, but it's out there. And that is a factor here. The Israeli embassy is open and functioning and there's also a consulate in Dubai that is open and functioning. My understanding is that at least Israeli ambassadors in the other countries, including Egypt and Jordan, have been asked to come home, not because they've been kicked out, but out of security concerns. So I think it also speaks highly of the environment in the UAE, that the Israeli diplomatic missions are still here. But will the relationships that AJC has built, that Israel has built through the Abraham Accords, are they strained or is your work continuing through all of this? As I keep saying, this is a difficult period, but I think we're all hoping that we'll all get through this together and that there will be a new situation after the military campaign is completed, that we want to see the hostages released safely. And that's very much on people's minds. A number of people here have family or friends who either died on October 7th or in some cases were kidnapped or they know somebody who was. So we share that concern and hope with all of the Jewish people around the world that's certainly on our minds. But I'm very hopeful still that we'll get past this and that there will be new opportunities to rebuild some of what's been disrupted. And there's no question that things have been disrupted. That's just a fact. Mark, Remco, Hanna, thank you all for joining us. Be sure to listen to our previous episode from earlier this week, featuring updates from Paris, Latin America, and Africa. 
And last week, before fighting resumed, we spoke with AJC Jerusalem Director Avital Leibovich about Israel's efforts to root out Hamas and bring the rest of the hostages home. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.